0: Welcome back to a special podcast on 9 11. This is your Captain Johnny speaking. Let's do a little summary of what happened in part one.
1: Is that American 11 trying to call? Nobody. We have some planes. Just stay quiet and you'll be okay. We're returning to the airport. And uh, who's trying to call me here? American 11, are you trying to call? Nobody moved. Everything was If you try to make any move, you'll danger yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. You got the World Trade Center now. A million reports from up here. A plane just crashed into the World Trade Center for your information. We have a number of floors on fire. It looked like the plane was aiming towards the building. Roll every available ambulance you got to this position. United 175, New York. United 175, do you read New York? Same rate. Same rate. Same rate. Same rate. Same rate. Same rate.
2: What are those people going to do? All the elevators are blocked out.
0: That's just a little summary of what happened in part one. To kind of give you a summary, and I highly encourage you to listen to part one before you do continue on to part two. But American 11 and United 175 have hit the World Trade Center North and South Towers. New York is in a state of shock right now. But before we go on to talking about that... I would like to highlight something that's really key to the clip that you just heard and that I p- played in part one. Sink rate. Sink rate. is a part of a system that's built into the aircraft called Ground Proximity Warning System. It was mandated in the 1970s due to an accident. It's one of the things that I always try to remind people that when something happens in aviation, they just continue to make the industry safer by learning and growing from accidents in aviation. That system has even evolved more and they've improved it with technology as well. And it is now called Train Awareness and Warning System or TOSS. And it is something that is required on all aircraft. And the TOS uses GPS now. Ground speed and your ground track to figure out what is going on, aka sync rate. Now granted the fact that the newer system wasn't created until after this incident and everything. Even then though they, on this, at this time in the event, they had The first system, which you heard. Which that is an incredible thing. That means that those people were descending at a high rate of speeds going into those towers. An incredible thing to think about. Something that you hear, but until it really sinks in... You don't fully understand like I said this has more meaning now to me because I understand more and more about what happened on the aviation side now that I have been in the business for such a long time this is why I, I was honored to be able to do this is because I wanted to help and share the knowledge that I have gained through the years of being in aviation now let's go into part two but let's do it off right just like i did part one off right let's start with a moment of silence and i think you will understand more and more after you've listened to part one why this moment of silence is so important please join me in a moment of silence Thank you so much for joining me in that moment of silence. It is something that always means so much to me when at any event or during anything that we experience, we always take a few seconds and go completely quiet to show everyone that we are willing to take a few seconds out of our day to give them the respect and honor that they deserve. And this is one of the things that I've wanted to do hugely on this podcast is to give everyone the respect and honor that they deserve. So again, thank you for joining me. And now that we did that, We can do part two of my 9-11 special podcast. And we're going to start off right away. It's 9.05 a.m. And President Bush is in Florida. And he's reading a book to elementary school students. His chief of staff, Andy Card... Whispers in his ear. You ready for this? The America is under attack. Now, if you've seen the video of President Bush, his face is one of those that I'm surprised that he actually kept in as much as he did because he literally sat there and he probably had one of those like what the hell is going on? what do you mean America's under attack? but he didn't say that out loud and his facial expressions are actually very minimal for what is going on and that I can appreciate but he politely excuses himself from that event and while he's figuring everything out with his leaders on how to protect the United States of America we have our first responders on the ground at the World Trade Centers and here's a recount from firefighter John who is a part of engine 10 and ladder 10 which is a fire station right next to the World Trade Center please listen in
1: pleasure, John Morbido. I've been told you have quite a story about what happened to you on the morning of 9-11. I absolutely have a story from uh, September 11th. Yes, I do. Somebody told me that what happened to you some people think could be a miracle. Uh, I believe that to be true myself. I I was right in the middle of the Trade Center when the uh, building was collapsing and I survived. So (laughs) That sounds incredible right there. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there's probably a thousand firemen that have similar stories to what happened to them that day. Mine's just one of them. Uh, I mean, you could probably talk to anybody, and they'll let you know exactly what happened to them. But I can tell you my story if you'd like to hear it. How many people lived who were inside that lobby that day when the building came down? Uh, Initially, we were the first to respond. Uh, Ladder Company 10 and Engine Company 10. And immediately, we got the ball rolling, and... uh, gave a signal 1060 which means a major emergency that gets the ball rolling down with our dispatches they began to send everybody but we were the first ones on the scene at the time and uh by the time the second plane attacked the second building i'd say there were a good thousand firefighters down by the trade center were you at the station when the first plane hit I was in this firehouse when the first plane hit enjoying my breakfast in the kitchen. I was having some pancakes and we uh, heard the plane hit the building. Yeah. Nobody moved from the table because slow Manhattan, it's usually very noisy, trucks going by, kind of echoes with the kind of valley effect between the buildings. My officer looked at me and he said, Is that normal that sound for down here? And I said, Yeah, it's probably truck going by. You know, we hear kind of sounds like that all the time. And with that, a gentleman was in the front having a cigarette, enjoying a beautiful September morning. Uh, I had the front doors open, and he ran to the kitchen, he said, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And with that, we jumped up from our seats, we ran to the front of the firehouse. The doors were open, it was pitch black outside. It was a beautiful September morning, the sun was up, and it was pitch black outside. The smoke from the Trade Center from where the plane had hit was completely blocking out the sun. As I was approaching the front of the firehouse, I could see people cowering in our doorway. They were hiding, they were getting down low, and they were just looking up in fear, and I had no idea what was going on. I assumed it was a small airplane. Maybe somebody had a heart attack because the visibility was excellent. I couldn't think that he accidentally hit the building, but maybe he suffered a heart attack or an ailment and he hit the building. With that, we were ready to respond out. Sean Tallon, who was only, uh, he was what we call a probie, a probationary firefighter. He had only 11 months on the job, 27 years old, former N, uh, N.Y. FDNY EMT, and also a uh, Marine, uh, U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, he was our youngest guy working that day, so I grabbed him. I said, Sean, stay close to me. I said, we're going to see a lot of really bad things today, but we're going to be all right. I pulled out my fire truck. I was the chauffeur, the driver that day. When I got out onto the apparatus floor, I realized we were already running all the bodies in the street. People had been blown out from the Trade Center. I don't know if they were from the plane or if they had been from the building, but their bodies were on the You street. couldn't see them. The smoke was that thick. This, the smoke and debris and everything was falling from the sky, and people were cowering on the floor. There were already people that were burned and bleeding in front of the firehouse so that were getting hit with debris falling. So in my mind, this was unbelievable. It was surreal. What, what was going on over here? I had no idea what could possibly be happening. It never occurred to me that it might have been a commercial airplane. I looked at my office, I said, these are bodies. And to me it looked like insulation from the building, pink insulation rolled up in the dust. And he said, you gotta go. He said, There's nothing we could do for them, but maybe we can help the people in the upper floors of the building. I said, all right, if you don't mind, I have to just walk around and check my fire truck while we're working here. I, uh, I pulled out of the, uh, the firehouse and I made my turn onto West Street and um, barreling down towards One World Trade Center on West Street, and with that a gentleman comes out of the building on fire and he drops right in front of my fire truck so I slammed on the brakes and inadvertently not knowing it at the time but that gentleman saved my life again that's something that i believe that god put in front of me he stopped me short of going into the trade center i jumped out i wanted to tend to him right away because of his dire need his his body was on fire he was his flesh was dropping to the ground he looked at me with a blank stare and my company went up into the building, uh, so I stayed with him for a few while, a few minutes. I wrapped him with a burn blanket with another firefighter, Terry Rivera, and uh, we put him in an ambulance right away. By the time I had gotten into the trade center, my company was already up on the upper floors. I knew I wouldn't be able to catch up with them, and I knew that if there was any kind of trouble, that they would come looking for me. so I? I decided to stay in the lobby so that they wouldn't come searching for me and I would put their lives at risk so now I'm in the lobby of the World Trade Center and believe it or not in the lobby there already were burnt bodies from the jet fuel I didn't know this at the time because again I still didn't know it was a commercial airplane. Were these people run down or they'd fallen? These people were in the lobby waiting for the elevators to go to the upper floors the jet fuel from the plane came down into the lobby and when the elevator doors opened up, they were immediately hit with a fireball. They were incinerated. So there were bodies on the floor. And again, I'm looking around. And I'm like, God, you know, what, what could be going on here? This is unbelievable. There was no fire when we pulled in. There was water on the floor from the sprinkler system being uh, set off. And uh, there was broken glass on the floor. And there were bodies on the floor. So immediately we went to the, the people that were on the floor. There was a gentleman pushed up against the wall. He was burned. He was already dead. There was a woman. She sat up, and she was trying to speak to me. Her, voice had, her her throat had closed up, it had swollen close. And she sat up and she was trying to get the words and I said stay calm, we'll get you out of here. She was nude, her clothes had burnt off. Her fingertips were gone, they were burned. Her throat had closed up, she laid down and she died, right there in front of me. I couldn't do anything to help her unfortunately. With that, my officer calls me, he says, John, see if you can find out what's going on. I know you're in the lobby. Go out to the outside and look around the perimeter building. See if you can figure out what's happening. So I went to the outside of the building. I looked up. I was in between the two buildings. I made a report said the entire top of the building is on fire. I I don't know what we're going to be able to do, but we have to start evacuating these people right now. I went into Two World Trade Center. There were people there that were like, well, they're telling us to go back to our desks. I said, get out. Get out of these buildings. We don't know what's going on. Move away from these buildings as quickly as possible. And with that, they just dropped everything in their hands, and they started running out the door. I went back into One World Trade Center, the North Tower, and I was standing in an area with uh, about maybe 40 or 50 firefighters. We were waiting for instructions, what we call a staging area. With that, I heard over a police officer's radio, prepare for impact, a second plane is approaching. I looked at another fireman, I said, we're under attack. He goes, no. I said, oh my God, am I the only one that's not aware that we're under attack? I'm I'm thinking we're dealing with an accident over here, and everybody else knows what's going on. Just the cynical firemen, just, you know, typical day's work. Yeah, we're under attack, no big deal. But most of the guys were like me. They didn't know what was happening. With that, the second plane hits tower number two, the south tower. I still didn't see the plane, so I still had no idea it was a commercial plane. I felt the impact onto the building. The lights flickered. The building shook. I was like, okay, we're under attack. We just got to get these people out of here. Forget about the fire. People began to coming down, coming down the stairs in droves. They're panicking, they're bleeding, they're burning. Women are taking their shoes off to be able to run. The floor is covered in water and broken glass. They're ripping their feet to shreds. To me, it was organized chaos. When they saw us, they were able to follow directions. They were listening to us, they were panicking, but at the same time they had calmed down and they were listening to what we were saying. We were giving them instructions to head out into the street to get away from the buildings. After only a few minutes realizing the debris falling from the building was actually killing them. People began to jump. Heavy amounts of debris were falling from the building. The people we were sending out onto the street were being hit by debris. So we stopped sending them into the street and we sent them down into the subways. We figured the subway goes about four blocks away. They were able to go into the subway, come up a good four blocks away. They wouldn't be hit by any debris. So we assumed that that was our best bet to try to get people out of there. Were you seeing the jumpers jump? I could feel them, I could hear them landing on the mezzanine above me. Not one at a time. And you knew that's what it was. But 10 and 20 at a time. They were raining out of the sky. And when their bodies hit, the impact sounded like an explosion. Chase, what did you think? Thought it was the end of the world. I said, this is it. This is the end of the world. I had called my fiance at the time on the phone. She was in a panic. I said, "Uh, you know, I'm down here. I'm all right, I'm doing my job. I said, it's, it's a disaster. There are people, there are bodies everywhere. I said, but we're going to be okay. With that, I hung up the phone. This was before the second plane hit. I hung up the phone. The second plane hits the building. She sees it on television. She collapses. He's right there. He's right there. He's gone. The, bu- the plane just hit the building. He's right there. He just spoke to me. He's right at the foot of the trade center. I didn't get in touch with her until later on that day to let her know what was going on. Can you describe what the debris was, I mean, the amount of it what it was like? The amount of debris falling from the sky was papers and computer pieces and parts of of, uh, desks and furniture. But it had blotted out the sun completely. It was just raining paper and debris and dust all over the street. It was constantly coming down. It was as if it was a ticker tape parade where people were just throwing bundles of paper out the window. It was hard to imagine. It's hard to believe that all of this was blown out from the force of what I thought was a small airplane. But this is what was going on, and inside, the droves of people that were coming down and trying to follow our directions to to send them, because it's panic now, everybody remembers 1993 and the World Trade Center being attacked. So now this is going through their heads, we're under attack. So now people are just looking to get out the best way they can, but now they're following instructions. Not enough credit was given to the people inside the building. They were organized, they were listening to our instructions, they were helping one another. Nobody was just running amok and just running out the door and, and leaving their loved ones behind, leaving their coworkers behind. At one point I saw a blind man with a seeing eye dog. It's hard to talk about. But his normal direction, his, his normal way of leaving the building must have been blocked. And I could see him walking around in circles in the panic and the pandemonium. And I grabbed two Wall Street-looking guys in suits. I said, get that guy and don't let him go. They grabbed the guy, they grabbed the dog, they got under his arm. They carried that guy four blocks to the subway. They never once let him go. I was so proud that they never ran off on their own and left him behind. Because at that point, they could have. And everybody would have understood that it was every man for himself. They took that guy and they carried him all the way and I watched them to make sure that they didn't leave him behind because I was gonna go get him. They took him, yes sir, no problem. They took him all the way down the stairs. I was very, very proud of the New Yorkers that day.
0: Thank you, Firefighter John and everyone who sacrificed and served, even that it's your job. You can never say thank you enough, like I have said. He, like many others, was willing to go in there and risk his own life. He may have delegated two Wall Street executives to walk a blind guy to safety, but he was still watching to make sure that they did that. Because otherwise, like he said, He was going to do it himself. This retelling of what happened on Ground Zero is probably one of my most favorite stories. Why? Exactly what I have told you from the beginning on this. That you can take a bad situation and turn it into good. Firefighter and many others did that. That is why, again, I say thank you, Firefighter John, all the other engine companies, ladder companies from the New York Fire Department, the NYPD, and anyone else who went running straight to the World Trade Center while others were running away. Yet. This isn't over. There's still two more aircraft out there. United 93 and American 77. Let's listen in to American 77 right
2: now. 8.32 AM. En route to Los Angeles International Airport from Washington Jill's is American Flight 77, a 10-year-old Boeing 757-223 with the registration N644AA. American 7 is currently cruising at 33,000 feet when it is instructed by Indianapolis Air Traffic Control to climb to 35,000 feet. This was to be the last communication between Air Traffic Control and the pilots of American, as at 8.52am, hijacker pilots Hani Hanjura and Nawaf al-Hazmi stormed the cockpit and dragged both pilots out to where the other three hijackers are forcing them and the passengers to the back of the aircraft. At 8.54, as the plane flew in the vicinity over Pike County, Ohio, it began to deviate from its normal assigned flight path and turned south. Two minutes later, at 8.56, the plane's transponder was switched off. The hijackers set the flight's autopilot on a course heading east towards Washington DC. The FAA was aware at this point that there was an emergency on board the airplane, By this time, Flight 11 had already crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center and Flight 175 was known to have been hijacked and was within seconds of striking the South Tower. After the learning of the second hijacking involving an American Airlines aircraft and the hijacking involving United Airlines, American Airlines' Executive Vice President Gerald Appery ordered a nationwide ground stop for the airline. The Indianapolis Air Traffic Control Centre, as well as American Airlines' dispatchers, made several failed attempts to contact the aircraft. At the time the airplane was hijacked, it was flying over an area of limited radar coverage with air traffic controllers unable to contact the flight by radio. At 9.03am, United 175 hits the World Trade Centre North Tower. In response, the North American Aerospace Defence Command places two F-16s at Langley Air Force Base to battle stations. At 12 minutes past nine, flight attendant Renee Ray calls her mother and informs her of the hijacking. She then contacts American Airlines Headquarters, who are already aware of the situation. At 9:33 a.m., American 77 makes a sharp right descending turn into Washington D.C. A C-130 Hercules near the White House is ordered to pursue American 77 and relay information on its sightings to air traffic control. As flight 77 was five miles west southwest of the Pentagon, it made a 330-degree spiral turn clockwise. At the end of the turn, it was descending through 2,200 feet pointed toward the Pentagon and downward Washington. While level above the ground, and seconds from impact, the wings clipped five street lampposts and the right wing struck a portable generator, creating a smoke trail seconds before smashing into the Pentagon. At 9.3746, the plane hit the Pentagon at the first floor level and unleashed a fireball that rose 200 feet above the building. This is now
0: the third aircraft that has been used destruction. It has been used to cause a shock and awe moment at the time. that You thought it was only one and now it's turned into shock and awe moments and we're still trying to understand what is happening in New York and now DC has been hit. Our nation's capital It's like hitting you in the heart. They wanted to rattle our cages. And I don't even know how to describe it better than they did it. They got us. Now we have to figure out what's going on. And as we're doing that, there's still one more flight out there. United 93 is still out there. And I would love it for you to continue with me on part three, to go through the events that happened on United 93. and summary of everything that has happened on this and including some heroism that has happened so that we can take the bad the bad to good and the good that has actually happened from this event because there's a lot that has happened in this event yet you can always find good in everything One simple good was the two Wall Street people that walked the blind guy out of the World Trade Center to the subway. That shows that you can always create good out of a bad. And that is something that United 93 has, which we will get into next in part three. So please join me soon for part three of this special 9-11 podcast to honor everyone who is involved, who got affected, and is still trying to work and process this. And as always, live life like you've never lived it before, because you never know what is going to happen